Developing events in the Eastern Mediterranean are continuing to fulfill Bible prophecy. In the news this week, Russian spies are found guilty of a Montenegro coup attempt where they were trying to overthrow the government to prevent the country from joining NATO. Turkey has confirmed that it's going to move ahead with a purchase of Russian S-400 air defense systems, saying it's a done deal. And they further stirred the pot, announcing that they will start exploring for gas off the coast of Cyprus. And Israel, always in the news, has celebrated its 71st Independence Day. Well, once again, Ezekiel 38 is the basis of what we see happening in the news, where on the one side we have an alliance led by Gog of Rosh, or Russia, which includes Germany, Iran, Ethiopia, Libya, France, Turkey, and on the other side, Sheba and Dedan, the Arabian nations, the merchants of Tarshish with all the young lions, Britain, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and the United States. And it's just incredible how when we look at the way nations are aligned, whether it's the Sunni-Shiite split or whether it's between those nations allied with the U.S. and Britain or with Russia on the other side in Europe, it's just amazing how that it fits right along the lines of what we're looking for. So when we look at Ezekiel 38, the situation that's described in the latter days, we see Russia with its alliance as a mighty military force, which eventually will invade the land of Israel, described there in verse 18 and 16 of Ezekiel 38. And then on the other side, we have a description of the the situation with the Jews regathered back to their land out of the nations, including the mountains of Israel, Judea, and Samaria. We see them dwelling safely. We see them at rest, dwelling without walls, bars, or gates. And we also see them in a situation where they've acquired wealth, and they're the target of spoil of silver and gold, cattle and goods. So as Tim asked a few weeks ago on this program, could sovereignty be the last sign we see? Could this be a catalyst for the peace and security that we're looking for, with Israel taking more control potentially over Judea and Samaria? Well, we'll see what happens there, but certainly all the signs that we're looking for are either in place already or are certainly hot topics and possibly something that will come about in the near future. Time will tell. And we'll be watching to see what comes of Trump's deal of the century and the other things that are being talked about there. Well, thinking just for a moment about the spoil, <clears throat> Israel continues to be an economic powerhouse fueled by its tech, innovation, and energy. I've been reading a book recently called The Israeli Solution by Caroline Glick, and speaking about this, she says, In April 2013, Israel turned 65 years old. 
Except for its international diplomatic weakness, it has been a massive success by every possible measure. During the 2009-12 global economic downturn, Israel's economy grew 14.7%. In comparison, the U.S. economy grew just 3.2% over the same period, and the economies of the Eurozone contracted 1.5%. Per capita income in Israel grew 5.2%, while it grew a bare 0.1% in the United States and contracted 2.7% in the Eurozone. So it was interesting to see last month another huge gas deposit found off Israel's coast, adding to the two large fields already being developed. And in June, further licenses are to be auctioned for further exploration. And another really interesting book, if you haven't come across it yet, that I highly recommend reading, is called The Startup Nation, The Story of Israel's Economic Miracle. A very interesting read indeed, considering their technological prowess um, being second only to Silicon Valley as a center for startups. Well, challenges come with success as well. And so Israel's newfound energy resources may have brought new opportunities, but they have also brought challenges, as Alec Pollard of I-24 News explains. Construction on the longest and deepest gas pipeline in the world is set to begin. The East Med Pipeline is an ambitious plan to export an annual 20 billion cubic meters of natural gas from Israeli waters in the eastern Mediterranean to Europe. The 1,305-mile line will pass through Cyprus, Greece, and Italy and lie at a record 1.86 miles deep, a $7 billion project that Israeli Energy Minister Yuval Steinitz says is a strategic game-changer for Israel. It's the largest Israeli-European infrastructure project ever, the longest and deepest gas pipeline in the world that will allow Israel to become Europe's natural gas and energy exporter within just a few years. Europe's dwindling gas production means it could need an additional 125 billion cubic meters per year by 2030. Part of the reason it invested $100 million to investigate the feasibility of the project. But there is competition. Last week, Russia and Turkey inaugurated the first stage of their gas pipeline to Europe, with a plan to export a similar amount. So who has the upper hand? Greece's former deputy foreign minister, Dimitris Dolis, who was heavily involved in the project from its inception, told I-24 News, the EU will prefer the Israeli pipeline over the Turkstream project because EU countries are involved. Also, to diversify gas imports, since Europe already relies heavily on Russian gas. The project is of top geopolitical importance to Israel, Greece and Europe, and for this reason is backed by the United States. Greece is expected to hold bilateral talks in Washington with Secretary of State Pompeo on December 13th, followed by another strategic meeting in Jerusalem with Greek and U.S. representatives. Shoring up strategic defense for the pipeline, 
and planning for the future. Greece and Cyprus are on the cusp of potentially massive additional gas finds in their own waters, potentially supplying over 40% of Europe's natural gas needs in the future. With the possibility of Egypt linking up its Zol gas field at some point, the East Med pipeline could shift the entire energy dependence of Europe towards the Eastern Mediterranean. These competing interests are becoming more acute as time goes on. On the one hand, those of Turkey and Russia, and on the other, those of the new East Mediterranean gas forum, which includes Egypt, Israel, Cyprus, Greece, Jordan, and Italy, the gateway to Europe. For now, the new gas and oil discoveries in the East Mediterranean are bringing old enemies together. There were a couple of headlines on this this last um, month. The first on April 15th in the Financial Times under the headline, Energen shares jump 10% on Israel gas discovery. It says, Energen has been seen its shares soar over 90% since listing on London's FTSE 250 last year, marking it out as a rare recent success story among listed independent exploration and production companies. The company said on Monday its Karish North Well off the coast of Israel had discovered between 1 trillion and 1.5 trillion cubic feet of natural gas, becoming the latest big discovery in the eastern Mediterranean basin. The eastern Mediterranean region is rapidly transforming into a major gas hub following discoveries off Egypt, Cyprus, and Israel that are set to see the basin become a significant exporter of the fuel, attracting attention from energy giants such as ExxonMobil, Eni, and Total. Also, it was reported in Forbes a few days later on April 18th, under the headline, Israel's natural gas discoveries are bridging political divides and are forging economic ties. Will Israel be able to leverage its natural gas discoveries with other nations in its region, ones that have been historically hostile to it? Yes, but political risks remain while logistics are problematic. Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, and Egypt have formed a front against Iran and its Gulf ally Qatar, bringing them ever closer to Israel politically and militarily, says Professor Bailey. And then the article goes on to say, Israel has been blessed with new natural gas discoveries, including the latest announced this week by Greek oil and gas developer Energen. The findings have not just reshaped Israel's electricity portfolio, but they could also potentially alter the region's geopolitical dynamics. Former enemies, in fact, may become trading partners and go on to form long-lasting economic ties. Very interesting. As we consider Israel's trading partners here include nations that are identified in Ezekiel 38 and Daniel 11. So it fits exactly with what we would expect in Daniel chapter 11, regarding the king of the north in Egypt, we read that at the time of the end shall the king of the south push at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. Talking here about the same power that we see in Ezekiel 38, Russia and 
the alliance that it has. He shall enter also into the glorious land, into the land of Israel, and many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape, but he shall have power over the treasures of gold and of silver, and over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. Daniel 11, verse 40 to 43. Well, in 2015, perhaps the largest natural gas and oil deposit in the eastern Mediterranean was found in the waters of Egypt. Following the startup of the giant Zohar field in early 2018, Egypt became an important player in the Mediterranean. So just interesting to see how that also plays into the riches that Egypt would seem to have when Russia comes and invades. Well, it was also in the news last month that new legislation was energizing the U.S. policy in the Eastern Mediterranean. The Eastern Mediterranean has long been a flashpoint between Turkey and Greek-administered Cyprus. And now tensions in those energy-rich waters might be set to rise. Two U.S. Senators, Marco Rubio and Bob Menendez, recently introduced legislation that could drastically alter a delicate balance of power that's been in place for decades. The proposed bill calls on the U.S. to end its prohibition of arms sales to Greek-administered Cyprus. The legislation also offers millions of dollars in military aid to the island and plans for energy cooperation deals that exclude Turkey. The announcement came just a day after Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan was in Moscow. He was there reaffirming the purchase of Russia's S-400 missile system, a deal that has been loathed in Washington. Andrew Hopkins has more. Just last month, the U.S. Secretary of State traveled to Jerusalem to sit down with the leaders of Israel, Greece and Greek-administered Cyprus and demonstrate his commitment to work with them. As we cooperate on these important energy issues, I know we'll improve our security and prosperity even more broadly between our four nations. Uh, we, we believe this deeply when uh, free countries uh, with free markets act together, and work to develop infrastructure for energy, uh, greater security always follows. And just three weeks later, a new bill was introduced to the US Congress, the Eastern Mediterranean Security and Energy Partnership Act. It proposes the establishment of a new energy center for these four countries. The bill also includes $3 million in military aid for Greece, $2 million each for Greece and Greek-administered Cyprus for military education and training, and the lifting of the 1987 arms embargo on the Greek Cypriots. Cyprus has been divided since 1974, that since Turkey intervened to protect the Turkish Cypriots living there, following a coup by the Greek Cypriots trying to unify the island with Greece. The US imposed an embargo in the hope of stopping an arms race on the island and also to encourage reunification efforts. This is the embassy in Ankara of the Turkish Republic of Northern Cyprus, a state only recognized by Turkey. It was created as a direct result of those divisions on the island in 1974. And since that date, Turkey has been sticking up for not only its own rights in the Mediterranean, but also those of its Turkish Cypriot neighbors. Turkey has its own drilling vessels searching for oil and gas. 
It's working with the Turkish Cypriots, in direct competition with the Greek Cypriots, who are working with the US energy giant ExxonMobil. Disputes over who has exploration rights, in which areas, means they haven't worked together, all in an area where billions of dollars in energy are at stake. US involvement with Turkey's competitors isn't the only source of friction. The bill also seeks to obstruct the sale of new F-35 fighter jets to Ankara. If Turkey continues to take delivery of an S-400 missile defense system from Russia, so very interesting news item there, and we'll see whether this Eastern Mediterranean Security and Energy Partnership Act of 2019 actually gets passed. But if it does, it'll be very interesting. As we've seen, it involves the relationship of the U.S. with these Eastern Mediterranean countries, Greece, Israel, and Cyprus. It's legislation which seeks to strengthen, quote, our bonds of friendship through joint efforts to promote peace, prosperity, and security for our nations. And if uh, Turkey continues as it would seem to at this time, then the act calls to impede, quote, the transfer of F-35 aircraft to Turkey as long as Turkey continues with plans to pursue the S-400 air defense system from the Russian Federation, end quote, which of course is what we have heard it has said is a done deal. And it also says, quote, Congress um, should submit a strategy on enhanced security and energy cooperation with countries in the eastern Mediterranean, as well as reports on malign activities by Russia and other countries in the region. So we'll see where that goes if it passes. As I said, it uh, will be quite interesting. So what we're seeing with these news items then is really that NATO is under attack. And of course, we know that Trump has threatened to pull out of NATO. We've now seen them disregard the uh, U.S., Turkey disregard the U.S., saying that their procurement of the S-400 is a done deal. Erdogan has continued to stir the pot with crashing the Mediterranean gas party, as Haaretz put it in their headline. So NATO, um, from that angle, with Turkey at least, is not looking good. And um, the other headline we noted at the beginning was Russian spies sentenced in Montenegro coup plot, quoting the Daily Telegraph from May 9th. The article says two Russian military spies have been given prison sentences after being convicted of trying to overthrow Montenegro's government in a bloody coup to stop the Balkan nation joining NATO. So, again, another example of NATO under attack from Russia and with Britain pulling out of Europe potentially, as we expect they will, then that will also be another reason to... Um, question NATO, especially if Europe continues with their plans of a European army. We expect that NATO will become increasingly irrelevant and further weakened, and in the end, as we expect from prophecy, Europe will be with Russia. And so if that happens, it would be exactly in line with what prophecy predicts, where Europe's future alliance is with Russia and not Britain and the U.S., why do we expect this? Uh, 
Well, quoting from Revelation 17, verse 12 to 14, it says, And the ten horns which thou saw are ten kings, the ten nations of Europe, um, symbolically shown there, which have received no kingdom as yet, but received power as kings one hour with the beast, with Russia. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. The other aspect, which we haven't spoken about in our program um, this time, is the involvement of the Catholic Church, represented by the woman that's sitting on the beast, and the role that they have in all this. So that would be another interesting aspect to talk about another time. As we close, just one other thing that I wanted to mention is Israel's Ambassador Danny Danon, as he addressed the United Nations, outlining the four pillars that prove the case for Jewish ownership of the land of Israel, including Judea and Samaria. And I'll include the link for that in the program. Very interesting to see the case that is laid out there, as well as the prerequisites for peace that Israel is putting forward. And especially as we saw Netanyahu coming to power, as we've heard already on the program, with um, planning to put in place sovereignty over parts of Judea and Samaria, if not um, a large part of it. Also on this topic, I've just finished reading a book by Caroline Glick called The Israeli Solution. I would highly recommend getting a copy of that and reading it to better understand the momentum that's growing towards a one-state solution versus the two-state solution. Growing number of people now saying that that has failed. So again, I recommend um, taking a read of that book by Caroline Glick, The Israeli Solution, to really help understand what's taking place there at this point in time. So I hope you found that interesting. This has been Daniel Billington with you this week, considering the Bible in the news as we continue to look forward to the return of Zion's King, the Lord Jesus Christ, to establish righteousness and peace in the earth. Mm -hmm.